Well, thank you very much, Dr. Sealy. It's always, a, it's always a pleasure for me to be in schools where actually we always start with the prayers. In fact, I already changed the page because usually I have to start with a prayer, but I forgot where we are, and that's a blessing for me that uh, uh, we actually start with a prayer. And, uh, well, allow me to hold your hands and take you for a little journey until we're all going to go and have mac and cheese. That's what they told me we can have for dinner before we're going to go and then hear a wonderful concert, okay? But... Uh, also, my brain is a little bit uh, fried. I spent the morning speaking Spanish down in Los Angeles at the Archidiocese, so maybe I'm going to throw some words in there that uh, uh, correct me, raise your hand. But if I may say so, languages are very important. Never abandon languages, okay? And if you didn't have a chance yet to embrace a language, well, I highly, highly, highly recommend. You are smart. You are beautiful. You are strong. You are motivated, Languages are the key to the future, all right? Never, 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 never walk away from the desire of learning a language, okay? I'm not going to be a bully when I say that I speak five languages and I was able to do what I did and what I continuously do because of the languages that I speak. Perché se io parlassi italiano adesso, voi non capireste una parola di quello che dico, all right? If I will be speaking in Italian right now, you will not be able to understand. So, to me... It's always been in my heart to come to TAC, believe it or not. I have many friends of mine that are avid supporters of your school, either because they came through, because their children are here, because they are massive donors of yours, and uh, the Lord somehow brought me here today. And what a joy it is for me to walk around and now see and smell what I always looked on on a brochure, and what I always uh, heard of for students that I hired to be my teachers at the school in New Hampshire, or students that I encouraged them, okay, now that you walked away from TAC, you don't have to go and work for McDonald's. You know, you can actually do something else because you can, all right? And uh, before I'm going to start talking about a saint, I want you to know that I am a guy that went through a school like yours. As a matter of fact, I went through a school like yours in Milano. I was classically educated, and my professor was Don Carlo Giussani, which was the founder of Communion and Liberation, okay? And at that time, in my life, I had long hair. I was a killer, okay? I was very handsome, okay? And uh, still am. And uh, I was dating. We are talking in the 80s, okay? I was dating a girl, boys, that today she's married to the former president of France. I can just say that, you know. You know. Her name is Carla Bruni. She will sing me those songs, and I will always say, yes, you sing beautifully, but that's not true at all, all right? But anyway, so I was a normal dude, as I define myself, okay? That I was lost, okay? And then one day, the only spirit finally realized that he was trying to reach me through my heart, but I never learned how to shut up and listen to my heart. I always thought that I had to listen with my ear, okay? And finally, one day, the Lord allowed me to understand that that's what I had to do. And that's when I discovered, as a young uh, doctoral student, that I had to join the Swiss Guards, okay? And so let me walk you through this journey. And uh, by the way, this Lecture is worth three credits, so sorry for the people that are not here today. <laughs> okay? But it's impressive. Usually at this gathering, you always have between 7 and 10% of the population, okay? Which is, I, guess, I suspect, about 40. There are 400 students. So you are above average. You are the elite of the students, okay? So who is this saint that I'm going to entertain you a little bit? Born Karol Joseph Wojtyła on May 18, 1920. He was born in a small village called Wadowice in Poland, okay? And uh, uh, his life, his early life, was marked by great losses because his mom died when he was nine years old. And his older brother, Edmund, died when Karol was only he also had a sister named Olga, but she died before he was born. So, you know, by the age of 12, he was alone with his father, and his father passed away when John Paul, 
Karol Wojtyła at that time was only 21, okay? And uh, as a young student, you probably can teach me about this, but he was thrilled by literature, by theater, and most of all by poetry. But working in a chemical plant surrounded and threatened by the Nazi terror, Karol Wojtyła heard the voice of the Lord, follow me. And that follow me is what marked his sanctity, okay? Because in July 1958, the young priest, Karol Wojtyła, became, began a new stage in his journey with the Lord and in the footsteps of the Lord. Why? Because Carol had gone to the Missouri Lakes for his usual vacation, along with a group of young students, and uh, they were about to get ready for canoeing down this brook, okay, very dangerous brook. But before he did that, he had brought with him a letter, okay, a letter that uh, uh, was given to him by the primate of Poland at that time, Cardinal Wijinski. He knew more or less what was the content of that letter, but he carried that letter for about two weeks until before that canoeing trip where he said, well, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of here, all right? So let me just open the letter, okay? And when he opened the letter, his fear became concrete. He was to be appointed as the auxiliary bishop of Krakow at the age of 30. Leaving the academic world, leaving this challenging engagement with young people that he loved so much, leaving the great intellectual endeavor of striving to understand and interpret the mystery of that creature, which is man, okay, and of communicating to today's world the Christian interpretation of our being. All this must have seemed to him like losing his very self, losing what had become the very human identity of this young man, of this young priest. But guess what? He chose to follow the Lord. He chose to follow the Lord. And in October 1978, Cardinal Wojtyla again heard the voice of the Lord Follow me. And we all know, we all know, we all know what happened on October 1978. He appeared on the balcony of the Aula delle Benedizioni, as we call it, at the center facade of St. Peter as John Paul II. Okay? And anyone, anyone that ever saw him praying in real or even in TV or on a picture, everyone who ever heard him preach in real or on a tape knows that the love of Christ for St. John Paul II was the dominant force in his life. Well, being a pope is not your average job. It's actually technically not even a job because it's a vocation. What does it mean? It means that you don't decide to do it. You are called to do it. Nor is being a pope an easy position. Think about it. The world closely watches and analyzes every move the pope makes, every word the pope speaks. Everyone judges the pope based on his or her own perspective and agenda. And everyone understands, though, that standing in the fisherman's shoes is all-consuming. My sense from having lived in the Vatican and of the cardinals that I met is that no one of them actually wants to be a pope. Nobody buys a one-way ticket to go to Rome for a conclave. Nobody does it. 
It is certainly much easier to be a cardinal than it is to be a pope. And guess what? A friend explained to me as a young Swiss guard that one of the reasons why Pope changes their names when assuming their ministry is that their previous life is over. As Jesus told Peter in John 21st verses 18, and I quote, will be taken where he does not wish to go. End of quote. So my experience of the pontificate of St. John Paul II reinforces that insight. Well, let me tell you how I became a Swiss guard. Well, I was born, as you heard, from a Swiss father and an Italian mother. My father used to work for a huge pharmaceutical company at that time called Sando, today called Novartis, big name, okay? And he was transferred from Basel to Milano, Italy. And he met this young girl who used to work as a clerk in a law firm, as a paralegal. And uh, they will meet in front of the Teatro alla Scala at the bar for the cappuccino and the vanilla croissant every morning. And so I can say that the love was definitely sweetened by the crema of the croissant, for sure. Okay? And uh, the love uh, flourished into a wedding. We are now in the mid-60s, and uh, my dad, before the wedding, was um, called back to Switzerland, and so my poor mom, born in Bergamo, which is near Milano, okay, after the wedding, she left her town, she left her job, she left the northern part of Italy and went to Switzerland with my dad. About five months in the marriage life, my mom realized that she was expecting me. And so she went to my dad and she said, Albert, I can't stay here anymore. These people, they melt the cheese rather than eat the solid cheese, for crying out loud. (laughs) The Swiss are really weird. They melt everything. What's wrong with these people? Besides, they speak like if they have a carrot in their mouth. They write in a different way that they speak. And they're having dinner at 4.30 at in night because everybody's in bed by 7. I got to get out of here. And so my dad, my dad, <laughs> my dad decided to ask to be retransferred. And uh, he was sent back to Milano. And where did they end up living? In the small town outside of Bergamo where my mom grew up. And the name of that little town is Sotto il monte, under the mountain. Guess who was born in Sotto il monte beside my mom, myself, and 450 people? Saint John the 23rd. So guess my joy on April 27, 2014, when the man that I served, Saint Pope John Paul II, and the man that I dated two of his nieces, John the 23rd, were canonized were canonized, were canonized by Pope Francis in St. Peter's Square. So I grew up living in Papa Giovanni Street. I went to the elementary school called Papa Giovanni. The famous pizza margherita was also changed in pizza Papa Giovanni. Everything was Papa Giovanni for me growing up because he was the citizen, okay? And uh, I, you know, studying came pretty naturally to me. I never did anything, but I was in class most of the time with girls, and they did everything for me. So I was very happy about that, all right? So when I, when I, I, believe it or not, I have a doctorate in musicology. I studied music. That was my passion, okay? And... uh, Uh, So at the end of my, uh, when I defended my doctorate, I went back home and my dad comes to me and he says, Mario, I understand that your goal in life is to live at home until you are 35, because that's what they do in Italy, but this isn't going to happen in our house. And I said, oh shoot, this is definitely not what I thought. Because my mom does all the laundry, she irons everything, she does all the meals. I can drive my dead car that he pays for, he fills up the tank. I don't have to contribute for utilities. Why do I want to leave, for crying out loud? 
everything is there, makes no sense for me to go elsewhere. That's already heaven, all right? And so my dad says, 17 weeks Swiss army, 54 weeks Italian army. At that time, I had dual citizenship. Being born in Italy from a Swiss father gave me two passports. And when my dad was talking, I was like you are when a professor talks. All I heard was 17, 54. I lost the content of the Swiss, Italian, and army. I focused on 17 and 54. So when my dad says, what do you choose? I said, 17. (laughs) Well, I had a long ponytail. I had blonde hair, very fluffy. And uh, I arrived in Switzerland. And let me tell you, I have a Swiss passport. The Swiss are crazy. They have a navy, for crying out loud. There is no ocean in Switzerland. There is no sea. And they have a navy within the army. They have a battleship on the Constance Lake and a small submarine with 35 people that they live there under the water in a, in a, in a sea, in a, in a lake, seeing the trout going by rather than the sharks. And so when, when, when I got into that environment and my beautiful long blonde hair, you know, got chopped off, okay? And uh, I started smelling like kerosene because they put me to sleep in a room which was... 36 men in a triple bunk bed, okay, which you can only imagine girls, the smell into that room, all right. I, after six weeks, I had to get out of there. I was desperately looking for a way to get out of there. And I remember that I was Catholic. And so I went to my captain and I said, "Uh, if my mom finds out that for the past six weeks, I didn't go to Sunday Mass. She's going to come up here, and we are all going to be in trouble. (laughs) And the captain says, not a problem. Tomorrow it's Sunday. Get your nice go-out uniform. Somebody at 7 o'clock will take you down about an hour and a half into this beautiful town called um, uh, uh, Lausanne, okay, the name, and you can go to Mass over there. And so I was ready, but in my heart, that was just an excuse. I didn't really want to go to Mass. So what did I do? I made sure that I have a nice equivalent of $20 bill in my pocket so that I could give it to the driver. He will drop me. I will go wandering around, looking at the beauty that they were all five feet tall walking around, okay, drinking as much as I could handle, and then just go back. Well, but the Lord didn't really agree with my plan. Why? First of all, because the gentleman that showed up at 7 in the morning was not an insignificant soldier as I was, but he had the rank of major. And so when he opened the jeep and he got out, and I saw that he had the rank of major, right away I thought, gee, this is going to cost me more than 20 bucks. (laughs) For sure. And then, you know, I got into the Jeep, we start driving down the mountain, and we arrive in front of the, cha- the church of St. Martin de Tours, and instead of stopping in front of the church, he goes next to the church, and then he parks with the nose of the car in front of a small door, and he tells to me, follow me. So I get out of the car, he opens the door, and I thought, this is weird. He has the church of a side door. And we go in, the sacristy, it starts taking the uniforms off. He puts an alb on. He puts a stall on. And I'm thinking, who the heck is this guy? Who is he? Mandrake, who is this guy? Well, yes, he was a major in the army, but he was also the chaplain. So I, instead of being around Lausanne, having whatever I wanted, ended up being the altar server, the lecturer, and they started the 40 hours devotion adoration. So I did the um, incense with the turibol, sang the O Salutaris Ostia, the Tantum Ergo. I did it all! (laughs) Three hours! And on my way back, I was really, really mad. 
And I was thinking, okay, what just happened? And all of a sudden, in the silence of this diesel jeep, this priest, i.e. major, says, Mario, uh, you should seriously consider joining the Swiss guards. And I looked at him and I said, father or major, whatever, do you really see me wearing a clown suit? Standing still for hours on the cobblestone of St. Peter, not being able to engage and talk. And he says, well, you just gave a little description of what the Swiss Guard actually do. But you know what, Mario? The Swiss Guard, they also carry a Glock. What? Wait, that sounds good. They carry a gun? Yes, they carry a gun, a 9 millimeter, and some of them, they even carry a 45. Boys, explain to the girls what's a 45, okay? <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, so keep talking. And he says, well, the Swiss guard in the Vatican are a symbol of fidelity because for more than 500 years, the son of your country have served the church by protecting the Sommo Pontefice. Okay, so keep talking. And he said, and uh, this military corps, this military corps continues the noble of service of defensores libertatis ecclesia, protectors of the freedom of the church. And that made me think, well, you know what? I think that sounds pretty cool. I think I really, I don't know what am I protecting, which freedom, but maybe I should definitely consider it. And I did. And then after the 17 weeks, I went back home and uh, I had no contacts with my parents during these 17 weeks. And when I arrived at home, my dad welcomed me and said, okay, I'm gonna tell you what's next. And I said to my dad, no, no, there is no need for you to tell me what's next because I already know what's next. I am going to Rome, to the Vatican, to become a Swiss guard. And my dad said, really? In the meantime, my mom that was making the gnocchi in the kitchen, okay, comes out. She says, oh, really? You're going to the Vatican. What's the name of the current pope? Oh, I said, oh, uh, Papa! Papa! And she says, uh, nice try, a little bit more, maybe, okay? So why I want to share this backstage story? Because you can understand that I arrived at the Vatican at the age of 26, okay, as a young Swiss guard with a largely secular understanding of Catholicism, which was my parents' fate, but not truly my own. But guess what? This outsider view this outsider view was both helpful and deceiving. In fact, I was able to meet St. John Paul II without any preconceived notion. His impression of me was not filtered through my perception of his office, but purely based on a human level. John Paul II once told his secretary in front of me, and then he remarked it on an angelus from a window one year later, that he had been inspired by God. Think of this. I am nobody. I'm in a room, and I, because I'm fluent in Italian, and they're not speaking Polish. I don't know why, but they're speaking in Italiano. And I'm there, like a curtain, like that or mother, is Mother Teresa? No. Okay. Like on a corner. Okay. I can talk. I can move. But I can definitely hear. Okay. So, John Paul II told Monsignor Jivic that he had been inspired by God to change the way that he led the church. I, he said along this line, must lead the church with suffering. The Pope, he continued, must suffer 
so that every family and the entire world should see that there is a higher gospel. The gospel of suffering with which one must prepare the future. That situation really moved my guts. You know, for a few days, I was not comfortable because I wasn't able to understand why does the Pope have to suffer? Why? And then he came to me. He had gone to the Gemelli Hospital to remove a benign cancer that was as big as an orange. And he came back, and that day my service with my uniform was to be where he arrived with the car, and all I had to do was to just go into the attention and see him get out of the car, walk in front of me, and enter into the elevator to go up. Well, when he arrived, okay, he the open was an old Mercedes convertible, okay? So for him to get out, the butler, okay, will get out, and then he would open the door and then put his hand under the, the, the hood, okay, and pull that back, and then the only father would pull himself and get out. But, you know, he had just had surgery. He spent 10 days at the hospital, so he was weak. He was pale. He had lost weight, okay? And the only father got out of the car, and he moved toward the rear of the car, you know, just one step because he wasn't strong on his legs. And when he moved to the right of the car, toward the rear of the car, he put his hand, you know, on the, uh, on the, the carcass of the car right there, exactly on the same time that the butler closed the door of the car and the pinky of the only father got closed into the car. It all lasted a second, a second and a half, and they reopened the door immediately. But it came to me because, can you imagine if I call this gentleman right now here, and I'm going to say, put your, fi- uh, your finger there. Pa! You think he's going to say something? Probably. The only father didn't say a word. That pinky that really looked messed up and bloody and the fact that the only father didn't say anything and closed his eyes confirmed what I had witnessed a few weeks in advance about the concept of leading the church with suffering because the only father has to suffer. And so I called my parents and I said, this is what I witnessed Watch the Angelus on Sunday. You will notice that the only father has a huge bandage on his pinky. But nobody knows anything about it. There was no commercial, no publicity, no bloggers picking up the, no, the, the, the news. Nothing. He took it in because that's what a leader does. So during his pontificate, as you can witness, okay, with me in this room, beautiful room, I had an extraordinary example of his human greatness. First, with his apostolic vigor, and then through his witness of faithfulness. Because even, even in his suffering, he pointed the way for me to an authentic human growth, fully human, a growth that which that a growth which was not only cultural, but for me, also financial, economical, because that was my passion at that time. Even though I studied music and classics, a growth that I finally realized I had, I had to nourish through spiritual food. And so what did I do? I finally came to the realization that in order for me, okay, to find that spiritual food, I had to go to him. And the way I went to him, I went to him through his mother. And how did I go through his mother? With this rosary that the only father gave me one day 
all of a sudden, and I carry it every day in my pocket. But let me tell you how this rosary, not this one, but very similar. Well, I was hot. I was in the Apostolic Palace. It was July. I really didn't want to be there. I wanted to be out. And all of a sudden, they call me on my radio, and they say, the only father is coming, security the place, so you have to close the door, block the elevators, making sure that nobody comes out all of a sudden, okay? And the only father used to shuffle. St. John Paul II wear those moccasins, and because of, today we know, because of Parkinson, people with Parkinson, they have trouble lifting up their feet. Therefore, they don't clack, 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 but they shh, 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 and that's how St. John Paul II noise was. And so for me, as a Swiss guard, it was very clear. 30 feet, 20 feet, 10 feet, up, here, 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, down, gone, open everything, okay? But that day, because I was hot, because I was angry, I didn't want to be there, I really wanted St. John Paul II to acknowledge my presence. I wanted him to look at me, to touch me, I wanted him to stop and say a few words. You know, as a Swiss guard, it's not that when the Pope comes by, say, hey, how's it going? You don't do that, okay? You can engage with the only father. You can only respond if he engages with you first. And here he comes, 30 feet, 20 feet, I go up. He passes me. He was with two other priests. And then he goes off. And he didn't stop. He didn't look at me. He didn't touch me. Nothing. And I was still up in my military attention. I closed my eyes, you know, for what, half a second. And then when I reopened my eyes, the only father was right in front of me. And I didn't hear the shh, shh, shh. He was right in front of me. Handsome man, 5'9", color of eyes of a blue that I did not see in any human being yet and he was right in front of me so I stood in my position and he put his hand in the pocket of his cassock and he took a rosary out and he held the rosary in front of him and he said Mario the rosary it's my favorite prayer marvelous in its simplicity and profundity. Take these beads and make them your most powerful weapon. And he pulled my hand from the kafir down so that I could grab the beads and he took off. And I didn't say a word. But since that day, I kept the rosary in my pocket. Because guess what? Especially for the gentleman here. This is what a real man does. He carries this weapon all the time. I love weapons. I shoot 50 cal as well. Then my shoulder left my body and came back three days later. Because, you know. But this, any man should carry this in his pocket every day. Because you know what? Call on Mary. Also you girls. Call on Mary because she is the queen of peace. Because being daring in your prayers, okay, and the Lord will turn you from a pessimist into an optimist. From being timid to being daring. From being feeble-spirited to become a man or a woman of faith. To become his disciple. And so, finally, I came to the realization that I had to go to Lynn. And going through her, still today, when I put my hand in my pocket, I probably every day start 63 or 64 rosary, and I don't finish even one of them. You know why? Because she finishes for me. I don't have to be worried about it. But I do carry this, which is my most powerful weapon. The longer St. John Paul II prayed, the more absorbed in prayer he became 
until he seemed completely taken up in it as if nothing and no one in the room could pull him back from the place he had gone. Castel Gandolfo, summer residence of the popes. St. John Paul II used to go there all summers, plus Christmas or Easter breaks, maybe just for a few days, but was enough to go there, no protocol, no audiences, just him and 10 Swiss guards. That's it. Was the Easter break, and because the portone of the Castel Gandolfo is closed, there is no sentinel, there is nothing, Somebody came to bring us a package. And so they gave me the package, and I thought, well, you know, it's uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. The only father is probably working or resting. I'm just going to go up and take this into the living room where, you know, there is the chairs. I can leave it there. So whatever, it felt like it was a book. Whatever he, it is, he will see it. And uh, the apartment where the only father lives in Castel Gandolfo is very... Uh, small, very humble, and for us guard, we knew everything because every morning we had mass with him at 7 o'clock. So we will know exactly going down that narrow hallway where or what every room on the left or on the right was. And I had to go to the end of the hallway, okay? And I didn't wear my uniform. I had my dark suit with my Armani tie, okay? You know, you, you know. You have to be cool at a certain point, all right? And so I was walking down, and when I arrived in line with the chapel, automatically I, you know, I tried to not make noise with my shoes. And I almost tiptoe, okay? And in line with the door, I, you know, I felt an instinct to just look and, and, and just bow as a sign of respect because the door is open, the tabernacle is there, and the chapel is very small. And when I turned, what did I see? St. John Paul II kneeling on the granite of the floor next to the kneelers. So in the middle, there is this beautiful kneeler with the red velvet pillow, and instead of kneeling on that, he's kneeling next to it. And the right hand was grabbing the slack of the altar, and his forehead was resting against the back of his hand. No cameras, nobody was there. When I saw that, I felt the bow marrow go up and down my spine. I just walked to the end of the hallway, put down the little envelope that I had, and walked back to go downstairs. And when I walked in front of the chapel, I didn't dare to look inside. 7.30, post-dinner, after dinner, the only father will go for a walk. Where? In the garden, up in Castel Gandolfo. Huge walls, you know, lots of police outside, very secure inside. But we as guard, we will walk with him, and there are three levels of securities when you walk around somebody, like the Secret Service does for your president. There is the close one, and then there is the intermediate one, and then there is the far one. The far are the one that they anticipate and they follow, okay? And that afternoon, that 7.30, I was the far one, which means you walk about, you know, 70 feet in advance of the only father. And so he didn't see me because when he came down and he started the walk, I was already at, uh, ahead, okay? And so he started the walk, and uh, all of a sudden, the path arrived in a place where I knew that he had to go left because there was nothing. If he had gone straight, there was these laurel bushes behind the tall wall. And so in my radio, my commander says, Go straight, hide. And so that's what I did. Instead of turning, I just went straight where the laurel was, and I turned, and I walked, and I saw the only father walking up. All of a sudden, the only father, instead of staying on the path and turning left, he got out of the path and started coming toward me. And I panicked because I'm thinking, wait a second. 
there's absolutely nothing here. Why is he coming this way? You know, it, and you have to react so fast. You can't ponder there. You can't ponder. You have to act. Okay? And so I made sure that nobody was around. But by the time that I finished that, what, three and a half seconds, he was already in front of me. And because I didn't have the uniform, I didn't have to do the military salute. So I just stay still. And the only father looked at me. And he always pointed at people. He usually talked, raising his right hand with the finger. He will always talk, moving his index finger on the right hand. He raised his finger and he said, Mario, next time I want you to join me. And he walked away. And I thought, wait, is he talking to join him on the walk? No. He's talking, he wants me to join him in prayer. How the heck does he know that I saw him praying alone in the chapel? I didn't make any noise. How did he know that? I was really messed up. I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on. But since that day, okay, since that day, I clearly, okay, admire the intensity with which he prayed and also the intensity with which he celebrated the Eucharist. How he remained deeply recollected in prayer at the conclusion of Mass. He didn't and took off to go and get a cappuccino. He will stay in the chapel sometime even for half an hour. Okay? And, and I remember the devotion, the devotion with which he spoke spontaneously, spontaneously about Jesus and Mary. He was also a funny man. He demonstrated to us guards his gratitude for our Petrine service, as I said before, that is the service for the successor of Peter, and never missed the chance to express that gratitude sometime to the point to joking around with us. Two anecdotes. The first one, Summer, Castel Gandolfo, I was playing cards with three other guards on an outside, you know, those um, stone tables outside. And my partner put down a card that was not the card that I was expecting, which caused me to say, unfortunately, a yucky word. And when my yucky word left my mouth and went into the air, the zucchetto of the only father, the zucchetto, arrived in the center of our table. And the four of us looked at that, looked up, and St. John Paul II was on the terrace above us. He looked down, and all he did was, oops, there was no wind, no breeze. Another time, St. John Paul II's butler, Angelo, the man that closed the door, had two daughters, had two daughters, Raffaella and Cristiana. And somehow, Angelo wanted me to go out with either or. But Mario didn't like either or or. And so Mario was not going out with either or or. And Angelo kept, you know, we established this teasing each other, also because it was definitely an atypic Swiss. You are now familiar, as Dr. Silly says, I'm a, body, I'm a choleric, sanguine kind of guy, not a phlegmatic, melancholic kind of guy, all right? So with Angelo, we were constantly teasing each other. So that day... General audience, Aula Paolo VI, you look at St. Peter, is on the left side. Popes usually, they do the general audience on Wednesday outside. But in the winter, if it's cold, they do it into this all big one, 10,000 chairs on the left side. 
Well, that day, at the end of the audience, my duty for security was finished, was to go around and to wait, guess what, again, where the car is, okay? And so I hear the music and blah, 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 and all of a sudden I see, and you see the group, you know, they move like wasps, you know, they move all together, okay? And I see that they are coming, okay? So I tell the driver, get ready, okay? And I go up in my position, the door is already open, I don't have to do anything, the clear, everything is clear, okay? Angelo, that son of a gun, okay? Angelo was ahead of the only father, and when he arrived and he recognized me in my gorgeous uniform with my black helmet and the red feather, okay? He decided to love me in a tough way, and he elbowed me right at the bottom of my sternum that caused me to bend down, coughing and spitting exactly when the only father was right in front of me. Almost I caused 16 stitches on the only father with the tip of my black helmet, okay? And I came right up, I fixed my helmet, I went back, into the position, and I was obviously blue, okay? And St. John Paul II looks at me, immediately puts a little smart smile on his mouth, and says, Mario, there is no need to bow. <laughs> A number of times, as you said, I like to say, but the, I personally witnessed the only father that true joy, demonstrate that true, jo that true joy is not a mere passing emotion, but comes from having met Jesus, who is true joy and true love. It was through his witness that I was continually exhorted to serve others as Christ did. He who himself came not to be served, but to serve. And as you heard, I had the privilege to become friend with Mother Teresa. But let me tell you the first, 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 first time I met Mother. Because I was very choleric and sanguine, and sometime I will get into trouble, like you, here, you know, like the people that I heard singing on the dorms last night, probably like that group, okay? <laughs> that group of kids, that they are probably not here anyway, okay? <laughs> Beside the gentleman on my left, that he looks guilty, just a look at him, okay? <laughs> All right? So, I had to pay some social services, and the social services of the Swiss Guards were to go to the missionary of charity of Mother Teresa just outside of the Vatican at the community kitchen. And that was really hard for me because I didn't really like to serve the food to those poor people. They really um, uh, caused me to, you know, to, 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 to be sad. So I always stayed on the back. I didn't mind to wash dishes and wash pots. But that day, because I was not there mea sponte, but I had to go there, so I am in the kitchen, and I'm washing this pot, okay? This pot was a big pot. You know the pot that you use when you do fried turkeys? You know, those big pots, okay? So I was washing this, and because they are made not of inox, they are black, so I had to use this uh, sponge, and I was rubbing and rubbing, and the black was not coming out. I would turn it, and the water was running down. My underwear were soaked because uh, the mess of this huge pot. And I was complaining and obviously moaning at the same time. And next to me, there was a sister, and I didn't really pay attention because the sister of Mother Teresa, they all look alike. They're all the same height, the same color. You know, how can you decode them? You can't. So I am there complaining, feeling sorry for myself. And this nun, she was putting the glasses in those uh, crate, you know, those crane that you put the glasses and then you push them under the industrial dishwasher, okay? And, you know, I'm doing this 
And then I turn it, and somehow there was a moment of pause, and I looked, and she looked up, and she says in Italiano, but I'm going to tell you in English, you are acting like a sissy. <laughs> to me? I am a sissy? Really? I'm six foot two and 200 pounds of muscles. I have lots of hair. <laughs> you are four feet nine. You can barely stand. I am a sissy. I can take the pot and put it over you. I didn't exchange a conversation with her because she offended me. She called me a sissy. So, a few weeks later, she arrives in the Apostolic Palace for an audience with St. John Paul II. And she arrived in a group of sisters, okay? And they all go in, and then the majority of them come out, and she's not out. And they leave me a little bag, and uh, she comes out later, and I had to give her that bag. And so I called her, and she was with three other sisters, and I said, sisters, they left a bag for you, okay? And so they all three walked, and they arrived in front of me in a small room, and one of the three, I think was Sister Nirmala, the one that then became her successor, okay, grabbed the bag, and mother... That was my chance. I have a sore. I have a nine millimeter. We are in the apostolic palace. You call me a sissy. I'm going to show you who's the sissy here. (laughs) And while I'm thinking all of this, what mother does, well, you know how the missionary of charity's habit is, you know? So she pulled that Sahara that comes down. She pulled it, and she had a little uh, safety pin here, okay? And she unhooked the safety pin, and she had a miraculous medal. Even at TAC, you know what a miraculous medal is, right? So she took that medal out of the safety pin. She closed the safety pin. She fixed her habit, and then she grabbed my hand, okay? She put that medal in my right hand, she cl- and I have a white glove on, okay, because it's formal. She closes my right hand, and she looks up, and she says, Sissy. <laughs> and she walks away. I put that medal in my pocket and I lost it. I lost the medal. Six months later, almost to the clock. Again, different room this time. Again, audience. This time, all big group. They all come in. They go and meet with the only father. They all come out at the same time. Okay? They start walking away. I am in the corner. And I see that one of them stops, turns, and starts walking in my direction. And once she arrived, I immediately recognized it was mother. I didn't say a word. Mother arrived, she moved her Sahara, safety pin, she opened the safety pin, she took the miraculous medal out, she grabbed my hand, she put it in my hand, she closed my fist, and she says, and this time, don't lose it. How is it possible? I didn't see her, I never told her, but that's what a saint does. For many years, St. John Paul II imparted the strength to hope. Think about it. The strength to hope. He was truly a witness to hope. And once selected Pope, this strength was tested in ever increasingly varied ways because he never held back despite the difficulties of a particular situation. I had to deliver, again, like a mailman, you know, a package. This time I had to give it to the Only Father. Keep in mind that once they asked John XXIII, Only Father, how many people work in the Vatican? About half. That was his answer. Okay? (laughs) About half. All right? So it was not my duty to take the package, okay? And was, this time was not a box, it was a vanilla envelope. You know those orange envelopes with the bubble inside that when you have them in your hands, you feel like... You want to pop all the bubbles, okay? 
And so I decided I got to go, all right? And because uh, it was urgent, I went in the Apostolic Palace on the third floor where the only father still today, Pope Francis, does the Angelus. That's the office, okay? So I arrived there, and I knocked on the door, and you don't wait for coming. You just knock, and then you open the door, all right? And so I did. I knocked, and I opened the door, and the only father was at his desk. And this is a little secret. St. John Paul II always wrote using the same pen, which was a Mont Blanc. Now, I, maybe some of you don't even know what a Mont Blanc is, but it's the queen of the pen, okay? It's the pen. It's one of the few jewelry that, as a man, you aspire. Once you have a Mont Blanc, you feel fulfilled, okay? <laughs> and St. John Paul II carried that Mont Blanc all the time. An old Mont Blanc, white gold pen, and the one that you still had to aspire the ink. Old school, okay? And he was writing. And St. John Paul II calligraphy was like a third grade teacher. Beautiful cursive. And to write in Polish that has no vowels, for crying out loud, it's definitely some challenge, okay? And he will write straight on white pages without having anything underneath. No ink on his white cassock, nothing, everything beautiful, perfect. And there I am standing with the vanilla envelope in my hands, and next to the only father there was a little pendulum, a little clock, an antique clock. And so I was looking at that, you know, six minutes go by, seven minutes go by, I'm still there, and the only father is writing and is not engaging with me. So you start thinking, okay, should I put the envelope down? What am I supposed to do? And I did what everybody would have done in that situation. I cleared my throat. <coughs> and the only father finished like two words, and he kept the Mont Blanc on the paper, and he looked up, and he said, Mario, patient is a virtue. <laughs> and he went back writing. <laughs> so there I am standing with this vanilla envelope in my hands. And all of a sudden, it comes to me, wait a second. I admire this man so much that I want everything that he has. I'm paying attention to what he says. I'm reading what he's writing. What is he writing about? Wait a second. He's writing for sure about, he has a book under his left hand. Maybe he's writing something about that book. Let me see what that book is. And so I'm a little far from the table, but, you know, I went and I saw Tolstoy. And I'm thinking, Tolstoy? For crying out loud, Tolstoy's books are bricks, and this is this big. There is something wrong in here. What is it? So I went again, and I saw the title. And the title in English is The Death of Ivan Illich. Probably some of you read it here. Okay? And so I didn't have Amazon at that time. And so I waited, and I went to the Libreria Vaticana. I had to order the book wait for the book to arrive, and then it was so little that I could carry it in my big pocket. And I brought it with me during the service. I read it, it's what, 75 pages, didn't mean a word to me. I said, why is he reading this book? It's pretty scary, it's all about sin, what the heck? So I reread it, okay, so I didn't put it away, I said, I gotta reread it. There must be a message here, something that I am missing. Well, I was in service. I was reading, and the only father arrived. I was notified. So I put the book, instead of in my pocket, on the windowsill. And the only father came. You know, I'm in attention. And this time, as he did many times, he stopped to engage in few words. I love soccer. He will always ask me, what did the team that I cheered did? And, you know, where did you go yesterday? Normal human being conversations. 
and he saw the book on my, behind me. He grabbed the book. I still have that book. He didn't connect the dots. He had no idea that the reason why I was reading, reading that book is because I was copycatting him. He had no idea. But he grabbed the book and he said to me, Mario, this book is about many things, but especially about the terrible spots of the human heart. And then he kept and he said, about the, premise, the primacy of death. But most of all, but more than anything, is about the consequences of living without hope, which means without truth. Mario, he concluded, be always for the whole truth as a man of hope and never for the partial truth. And he gave me the book back and he took off. An expression I heard many times. Five more minutes and then the mac and cheese are ready. <laughs> An expression I heard many times from him was, be more. He didn't say do more, get more, write more, public more, make more, gain more. Be more. What I, Mario Ensler, took from this expression was to rediscover the beauty and the power of my own charism, remembering that no gift given is meant for oneself, but it is given for the good of the church and her mission. In taking up the call to a new evangelization, my dear friends, a call near and dear to St. John Paul II, we must receive this condition of self-giving as absolutely essential so that we do not fall into the error of using the truth with which the only spirit enlivens the church. John Paul II definitely impacted my young life in profound ways. Line, laying the groundwork for my becoming a husband, a father, a businessman, a teacher, but most of all, and most important, a practicing Catholic. It was his example that inspired me, his words that gave me hope, and his ideas that provided direction to my life. In conclusion, spending time with him made me desire to have what he had and what I took as leadership and merciful guidelines. Let me just share them with you so that maybe you'll retain one and that will make my day. Don't waste time, my dear students, ever. Don't waste time. Don't let your life be barren. Be useful. Make yourself felt. Shine forth with the torch of your faith and your love. Pay attention to the little things. I'm sure Dr. Silly tells you that every single lecture he does. Pay attention to the little things. A very important quality in that way my dear students, you will first become a master of yourself and then a guide, a chief, a leader, people that will aspire to emulate you because you'll be paying attention to the little things. Embrace sacrifice. Don't be afraid. A vocation demands self-denial, but how pleasant that sacrifice turns out to be if that self-giving that I was referring to is complete. Pray boldly. Never be afraid. And the Lord will turn you, as I said before, from a pessimist into an optimist. Care for others. Care for others. 
try daily to increase the depth of your concern for those around you and for some of you senior may be next to you at work or under you in the future of your career. Persevere. Persevere so that when you least expect it, the darkness vanishes and the light of enthusiasm and pure joy returns. Surround yourself. Surround yourself with wise counselor because only mediocre men surround, by self, surround themselves by foolish people. Smart men surround themselves by people that are smarter than they are. That's the key. Always stay humble. For all your learning, for all your fame, for all your power, for all your eloquence, if you're not humble, you are worth absolutely nothing. Cut out. Root that self-complacency which dominates you so completely because God will help you and then you will be able to begin working for Christ in the lowest place in his army of his disciples. So be more, my dear friends, dear students of Thomas Aquinas College. Be more because being more, we must receive this condition of self-giving as absolutely essential for becoming authentic Christian leaders. Thank you very much, and God bless you. Thank you.